Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott, Ben Anderson, thank you very much for making us part of your snow day. What do you think, Jake? We were just talking about this off the air. Specialists versus kind of people who can do it all. We were talking a little bit about music, but it kind of transformed from basketball, which was my argument that it's hard to play with LeBron, which kind of came from it's hard to play with James Harden, which kind of played with how the Jazz look differently. When you have Donovan Mitchell on the court versus not having Donovan Mitchell on the court, because Donovan Mitchell does so many things really well that it kind of masks the skill sets of some of the other players on the team because he's better at a lot of the things than what they do, even though that's their specialty. So what are you asking me here? What what I prefer? What do you think is, is more, more enjoyable? What do you think's better for teams? I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to for teams I'm just or for me ball into the wild and for, whoever picks it up. Because for me personally, I'm going with specialists because I can do one thing on this planet, and that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Talking into a microphone <laughs> for two hours a day. I have one skill. Yeah. And this is it. So I'm going with specialists because I'd be in the woods if if okay. I were doing something else. Okay. Uh, basketball. Or sports in general? Give me the five-tool guy, man. See, Megan's a five-tool lady because she does this, but she has like three other jobs. Right. She's producing she stuff in her spare time now. She's, she's talking to me about doing yes. her volunteer stuff yeah, this exactly. morning. Like, yeah, right. Megan's a five-tool player. Right. That's what, so those, but those you're a are, specialist. But I'm a specialist. So who's happier? Oh, me. <laughs> you think you're much happier than Megan <laughs> oh, yeah. as a specialist? Oh, me for sure. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. But we like Megan. We certainly appreciate it. But Megan, it. who contributes more to society? No, Megan. no question, Megan. Yeah, no question <laughs> Megan. that. No, you and I are... Contributing nothing. Yeah. We are milking the government for we, all we can. <laughs> we are literally waves into the air. Just still living off those PPE loans that I've, that I've taken out that I'm never paying back. Don't joke about that, Ben. <laughs> By the way, I'm looking at Ben who's... Don't who's joke about <laughs> I'm looking at Ben who's wearing a beanie. And it, it reminds me, because I'm also wearing a beanie today, Ben bullied Tim and me in the media room a couple of weeks ago at a jazz game. For what? Over what? Bullied. Bullied. Because Tim, Tim and I always walk into the room together because we're the last people to come eat oh, yeah. because we're on the air. <laughs> we're the last people to come eat. So Tim and I, it's always a grand entrance when we come into the Dern Media Room. Everybody like stops what they're doing and looks over and we go to the you know buffet line and we're putting food on it. I just feel every eyeball in the room. And we get done putting food on our table and we turn around and Tim and I both happen to be wearing beanies. And Ben, ben goes, you guys look like the wet bandits. <laughs> That's it was, good. It was pre-Christmas. And you guys look like radio guys. And everyone else down there looks like people who are going to the, the basketball game. Which, like, there is a certain expectation of, like, you got to wear a collared shirt. And you got you to wear a little bit nicer clothes if you're going to that. And then you guys are up here in the studio, and you're kind of locked away. And, and we don't I don't want to do say that. the rules don't apply to you, but in a certain way, like, you guys are not out as a part of the show. You no. guys are not out walking down on the floor. You guys, you know, like, there's not no. this presentation aspect of what you no, guys we're have We're in our, to do. Little, our little cave up here, and the only time we're ever seen <laughs> is that moment. By the way, if you Google Tim Lacombe, and maybe I don't even need to say this, but if you Google him, his coaching bio when he was at BYU or Utah is not the same person that comes into the studio when no. we see him because he was also needing to present himself a certain way while he was coaching at BYU just because that's the rules. But now he honestly looks a lot like Aaron Rodgers. He does look like He looks a ton <laughs> like Aaron Rodgers today, which is fine. Aaron Rodgers is a good-looking guy. Tim's a very handsome guy. Yeah, He's kind of got the, the salt-and-pepper beard going on, hair's a little bit longer, usually has it pulled back. 
very good looking guy, but he looks like Aaron Rodgers now. He doesn't look like the person, if you Google Tim Lacombe, who pulls up on the BYU staff bio. It's, it looks like two different people. It does. And he looks better now. But we were both wearing beanies because it was, you know, cold outside. Cold outside. <laughs> And get a, get bullied by you. Now I'm so self conscious with what I wear oh, down to the media be. room. Yeah, you uh, it's just it's. In, in fact, Ben. Or, I'm not gonna uh, lie, I kind of just threw this outfit together this morning. This was not pre planned. The next game, Ben or Ben, Tim. You guys both have one syllable in your name. And uh, anyway, Tim and I purposely wore different colored hats because we didn't want to be bullied. <laughs> You in guys the, looked like you were in cahoots in to rob the, the place. So when you guys walk in disheveled and you start shoveling huge plates of food. Disheveled? You're right, so mean. Rightfully so. People were wondering who are these two people that sneaked into the arena to get a hot meal on a cold day. Disheveled. Apologize. Hey, we're not wearing suits, but we're not disheveled. Please. Megan, have you ever been to a jazz game? Have you ever done the jazz dinner downstairs? I have not. Oh, we'll have to have you work a game. I mean, honestly, just to increase your you from a five-tool player to a six-tool player, we should get you figured on how to do jazz games as well. Yeah, yeah. that'd be awesome. Yeah. No, covering the games is fun, but the, uh, don't don't build up the you know the food, the media no. stuff to be no. to be more. No, but she than should. It, it really she is. should experience a game. Oh yeah, I think I there's got an it. important thing to come down and sit on press row and figure out what that feels like and covering it and, and you know where we go. Sure, sure, sure. But the media the there. media room experience is is probably take it or leave it. If you've never done it before, it's fun. <laughs> Is Not it? all of us can stumble in. Disheveled. Half sober. <laughs> stop it. Stop. You stop slandering. <laughs> you stop slandering us right now. It's embarrassing enough. You never know where to sit. Everybody's yeah. looking no, at you're you. Right. Usually the tables are dirty by the time you guys come yeah. in, so you really are picking spots. Right. And the, the minute you sit down with somebody, they're leaving. Yeah, right. So it feels like a you thing. Yeah. But it really isn't But because you guys come down 10 minutes before the game right. starts and everyone else goes up to get ready. You're so, right. I get it. I get why it's awkward. I, I somehow committed a faux pas earlier this year when I picked the the jazz media staff over the writing staff, mm-hmm. which I didn't know that was a thing. Ben, I'm not that familiar with the politics of the media room. I'm only down there for, for 10 minutes before the game. Well, we appreciate you coming down when you make it down. No, you don't. <laughs> Everyone's happy to see you. I did sit with the writers not that long ago, and they were very nice. They were very nice. Well, wear a mask next time. <laughs> see, Ben, I, I can do one thing, and that's that's laugh with you on this show. That's all I can do. Yep. I'm specialized in yep. this, and man, I just love every single You set. know what I've realized? It's way better to be specialized. You know what? In the NBA, probably is too. You probably I mean, have a I think longer in life, career in general, if you're specialized. In like, life, in find life, one thing like you do your well. job. Like if you're, you know what? We got to hire one guy who does this. Like here's a here's a comparison for you. There's like welders because my dad worked in a metal shop and he's talked about this. Like there are welders that are so good at their job. And we're kind of talking about this with Jim Morrison at the doors. He, junkies, like legit junkies, but they are so incredibly talented as welders. They're like, you will give them a week and a half heads up to sober up, to come in and do a job. They will make $20,000 in a month. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they weld these insane projects and they do incredibly well. And then they disappear because they're junkies again. You know, and they just like, that's their crazy lifestyle. And I'm not saying that's how you want to live, but they're so talented at that. No one expects them to be good at anything else in their life. Nobody needs them to be fully versatile. They're specialists. There are people in life that are specialists. Coders. We've seen, uh, what's the Facebook movie? 
anyways, the social network the, yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you go in, you're like this crazy coder. You can go work for Facebook and make a trillion dollars if you want to. You don't have to be good at anything. Mark Zuckerberg's not good at anything. He's like got a one-track specialist brain. He's not good at anything other than being his weird little niche of a person, and he's a trillionaire because of it. So I think in life, generally, better to be a specialist. Better to be great at one thing than good at a bunch. Had a buddy who was uh, really good at being in the military. Yeah. So he was a contract military member for a long time. And then he uh, now, and I don't think he's doing this anymore, but when he finally got out of the life, because he would, he would show up for a couple months just what you're talking about, and then bam, he's in Cutter or something, right, you know, like right. you're doing Lord knows what. And, uh, but he, he came back here, Ben, and he does investigations for um, government clearance. Uh-huh. You know, if you're, you know, getting a job or you need some clearance with the government, he's, he's the guy who's interviewing you. And it was like, wow, that is the perfect job for you. Yeah. That is, right. that is it. Nailed it. You know, specialized. You're yep. good at it. Yeah, 100%. Coaches who come in, like, yeah, I teach shooting, but I can fix your shot. I know how to get you to shoot the ball well. You're worth, you're worth your weight in gold at that point. But the guy's like, yeah, I know a little bit about basketball everywhere. It seems like that, that, uh, that sense is on the way out, that idea. All right, should we talk about the game last night, Ben? Let's do it. Should we, should we dive into uh, jazz basketball? Stay tuned at 1130. Randy Ray's going to be on the show, show. Of course, we will talk some Rose Bowl uh, coming up as well. But let's start off with the Jazz, who held on to beat the Spurs 110 to 104. Missed an Arby's night by one point. Ugh, frustrating. Um, uh, always frustrating. Who missed the free throw? Oh, is that on the road, too? Does that count on the road? Or yeah, only home games. No, it's like always. Huh. I tried to figure it out on my app, and I didn't. You, you have to show me. Score big, Ben. That's uh, yeah. slash utahjazz.com. That's all it is? Score big. Well, that's where it, it tells you about it. Okay. But, yeah. Thank you. I'm going to do it right now. You talk for a minute. I'm going to do that right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Jump you into that. You be a specialist. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, uh, 23 points, led the way for the Jazz, 9 of 21 shooting, 2 of 7 from 3, but uh, 6 Jazz players in double figures. Bogdanovich had 19. Joe Ingles had 17, getting the start for Donovan Mitchell. And, of course, this uh, was predictable, Ben, but we asked who's going to pick up the slack for Donovan Mitchell not being there, uh, dealing with an injured back, and the answer was probably always going to be a little bit of everybody. And uh, I think that's exactly uh, what we saw. Jordan Clarkson, um, I thought, had maybe one of, well, one of his best games of the year. This is why, Ben, eight rebounds and five assists. I think his last two games have been his best two games he of the season. He had eight rebounds in the previous game, yep. too. He's been playing a different type of way. He's just been playing harder. And again, I, I, I hate this argument because it makes me sound like I'm saying he hasn't played hard the rest no, but of it's the true. Season. But like his hustle on Christmas night, he didn't shoot the ball that well. He's like four of 13. I think he only had 12 or 13 points. But how many fast breaks did he break up the other night? Getting in passing lanes. He had a nice steal last night where he kind of realized, like, hey, if I'm in this spot, there's only so many places they can pass it. I can get an interception here and get the ball going the other direction. He's just playing with an engagement level on the defensive side of the ball that's much higher. And one of the things I really believe that Quinn Snyder says, it's kind of a coaching cliche, but is, you know what? If you rebound, the rest of the game will come to you. Like, for whatever reason, if you catch the ball and you touch it on the defensive end, this kind of goes back to our James Harden conversation in all honesty. It's like, if you touch the ball, you're just going to be more engaged. Remember Jerry Sloan used to try and give Andre Karolinko the ball in the very first play of every game, just so AK bought into what the team was doing because he was so good. But if he didn't touch the ball, he felt like it it didn't matter what his skills were and he wouldn't try as hard. So as long as you got him the ball early you could get something more out of him. He's done it a little bit with Rudy Gobert. Rudy's real skill set is you don't have to do with Rudy that much. But don't, you know, it's not surprising when the Jazz try and drop a lob play for Rudy Gobert on the first play of every single game just to get him engaged a little bit. 
Jordan Clarkson, by rebounding, like he said, eight rebounds tonight or last night, eight rebounds on Saturday, he's just engaged in a different level when he's touching the ball like that. And he already touches it a lot, but it feels like when he gets it on that defensive side of the ball, he really clicks in. And, and he was the best player for the Jazz last night. And he honestly may have been the best player on Saturday night, even though Donovan Mitchell scored 33. And it will make him, not that Jordan Clarkson is unpopular with his teammates, don't get me wrong, but it will make him more popular with his teammates. Absolutely. Because he's going out and doing the hard stuff. Nobody wants to do the hard stuff, Ben. Everyone wants to dribble around yeah. for 20 seconds like he does and take kind of weird fadeaway jump shots or huck threes all the time. We've all played a little bit. Everybody wants to do that. Nobody wants to play defense. Nobody wants right. to rebound. Nobody wants to do any of that. It's why Royce O'Neal has a career. Because it's like, 100%. hey, hey, uh, who wants to do the hard stuff? And Royce O'Neal raised his hand. And so when somebody who's got a role, we talked about roles a lot yesterday, got a role he likes. Jordan Clarkson likes what what he's asked to do on this team. But if that guy goes outside of his role and does some of the hard stuff, it's it's going to be contagious, I would guess. And uh, the Jazz played great defense last night. I know they, they leaked a little bit in the fourth quarter, giving up 34 points. But uh, they played hard on defense. It was kind of a defensive-type game, and they reacted because the last time these two teams met, it was an offensive-type game. They came in with a good game plan. And I thought that was a really good win for the Jazz last night. 100%. You're playing without your best player on the road. Now, uh, you were also seeing that uh, that uh, San Antonio was playing without their best player in DeJounte without, yeah, Murray. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were in a very good spot to, to win that game because they played hard. By the way, a little bit of breaking news here. Should we talk about this? Do you want to talk about it or you see it? Uh, no, what? Tyler Algier is uh, declaring for the NFL draft. Oh. So he'll be leaving BYU. Oh, there it is right there. Well, that's understandable. Yeah, certainly. And we can get to that in the top three stories coming up here in about five minutes. Yeah, because uh, Coach Ray is going to be on at 1130. We'll talk more about uh, Tyler Algier. But Good for him. Talking about uh, the Jazz last night, that's a great win. You know, you lost at home last week uh, in a game you probably shouldn't have lost to San Antonio. But this is a team that we talked about a lot on the show. was averaging 128 points per game uh, through the first or over their last five games. They've been the best offensive team in the NBA. And yes, again, they were without their top scorer in DeJounte Murray. But it's not like he averages 28. He averages 17 points a game. Like They can replace his production, and the Jazz went out there. And for most of the game, and they were under 100 points throughout the entire game until that weird late push where Joe Ingles had a couple of turnovers and they didn't play super well over the last two minutes of the game right. that allowed it to be trimmed from 12 down to six points. But uh, the Jazz the Jazz played well. And, and you know you don't make up necessarily for losses at home when you should beat a team like, like San Antonio. But... If I would have told you, hey, the Spurs are playing their best basketball of the season, you're going to go on the road without your best player in Donovan Mitchell and get a win, Like that's that's good. You'll take that. And then that's where the Jazz are right now. Uh, and really, if you look over their last... Yeah, you know, in a streak where they've won 12 of their last 14, Ben. Yeah, that's like, a, that, right. That's the thing. I think you look at the Jazz over their last you know 20 games or so, you go back to November uh, 16th when they beat Philadelphia after they'd lost four out of five, they've got... Four losses since November fifteenth. Jake, it's the new year on Saturday. Yeah, right. four losses in six weeks. <laughs> like, it's not been hard to be a Jazz fan lately at all. I know it hasn't always been pretty, but that's a lot of wins. That's a really easy time to be a basketball fan. See, that's the frustrating part about expectations. You know, when it doesn't go perfectly every night, people get uh, a little bit grouchy, and I get it because those expectations are really they're there for a reason, and they should be there. You know, nobody's arguing that, but then, you know, you have a tough road win over the Spurs without your best player, and you still see people grouse about it online. Yeah. Jazz are 15-4 and four with Rudy Gay in the lineup. 
So like that was kind of the, the change in the season. Sure. They have one extra win. They're 16-4 and four of their last 20 games. But the, really the difference has been they moved Eric Paschal out of the lineup. And I'm not hanging this all on Eric Paschal. But you, sounds like you it. move Rudy Gay in. You're mean to me. Now yeah. you're mean to Eric. Ratings go up. Ben goes off the air. Ratings skyrocket. <laughs> what could possibly happen? What could be the difference? Uh, so, yes, Rudy Gay comes in the lineup and all of a sudden the Jazz are, are pretty unbeatable. And I do think it just took a little while for everyone to click in. But Rudy Gay does, uh, you know, he hasn't been great for the last two weeks or so, but I think he probably does enough other things as a big body and being in the right spot and being a threat and spacing the floor that it helps the Jazz get to a point where they're, they're just, they're pretty unbeatable. And here's the thing, Jake, their losses are by a combined, four losses are com- by a combined uh, 10 points. <laughs> They've lost by 10 points in the last month and a half total in four games. Three, three games were two points or less. And then the blowout loss was six to the Wizards. <laughs> That's, it's, been, it's not been hard to be a Jazz fan lately. So let me get this straight, Ben. So not only are you not apologizing for insulting me in the media room. Never. But you added an insult by calling us disheveled. Uh-huh. And basically painting a picture of, of us in a negative way. So not only did you not apologize and say, yeah, that was kind of mean. But you you really doubled and tripled down. Am I just am I just picking that up? Is that how we're going to start it today? Score, is yes. that, is that what's going score, on? Score, yes. Okay, it's going to be a good day. The Jake and Ben Show. Top three stories at kslsports.com. We're going to have to get it together because we're going to have to be nice to Coach Ray. So we're great to Randy Ray. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm always but nice to But we're not okay coaches. right now, so we're going to have to patch it up by 11:30. Okay, we're going to have to. Yes. Oh, I was going to be nice to him. Not a hit. They, right. I came in looking for a public apology. That's it. But I got insulted in it. multiple times. Does it mean if you expect an apology, if you ask for an apology and you get it, does that mean anything? Yes. No, it doesn't. Yes. No, it doesn't. Yes. It's like if you only if you only apologize after you get caught doing something and you don't come forward as being like, hey, look, I made a mistake. You're not atoning Maybe for your you sins. Maybe you didn't realize that humiliating me was a bad thing. <laughs> Maybe I still don't realize. <laughs> Maybe you didn't realize that you you caused me emotional stress through embarrassment. You're going to go to HR. Whole room full ben of people. Ben embarrasses me at basketball Whole games. room full of people. Hey, look, everyone, it's the Wet Bandits. Not funny, Ben. <laughs> Disheveled. Jeez. Stay tuned. More coming up next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utes are Rose Bowl bound for a battle against Ohio State. The Utah Utes headed to the Rose Bowl for the first time in program history. Emphatic champions. Your home for the best coverage of the Utes' historic trip to Pasadena is right here on the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to Jake Scott and Ben Anderson on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Snake any day, Who Ben. Like White Snake for being in a good mood. That's what we should call the squall we had last night. We shouldn't call it a squall. We should call it there's a White Snake rolling into town. <laughs> that was something. It was. Uh, it was pretty cool to be in the in the arena, actually. Oh yeah, you uh, guys were here. You yeah. had the big windows behind it. I did the thing where I have all my blinds shut because I live like Ebenezer Scrooge. I just turn off all the lights and it's dark and it's cold in my house to save three or four dollars a month. And I open the door. And it was just a whiteout. Yeah, I couldn't see anything on my front door. 
pretty cool. Yeah, it was very cool. I like that about Utah. I didn't like my morning commute, but I liked I liked it last night. This morning wasn't too bad. I thought they had the the, the roads pretty well. No, managed. they did a great job. I did a bad job driving. Oh yeah, I was going a little fast, Ben. <laughs> I had to flip a U turn. <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely fishtailed. I mean, crazy. I told you, I have a SUV, but it's two-wheel drive, so it basically doesn't serve any purpose. And I was, yeah, I made a U-turn and almost went right into the curb. So That would not have been good. No, I didn't. But I didn't, and the kids were safe. Yeah, that's Thankfully. good. Yes. Thankfully, I didn't put the kids into the roadside. So Were they were they frightened at all? No, they trust Dad. They, say, they know I'm, yeah. I'm a maniac. How you doing, Dad? You got everything under control? Late night, kids. Everything going okay <laughs> up the there? The roads are slick. Uh, Dad? Um, yeah, hopefully everybody out there, take it easy. You know, ice is a thing. It is quite cold. Yeah. So uh, let's dive into it. We're doing uh, top three stories at kslsports.com uh, now. We usually do it at 1130, but uh, Coach Ray is going to be on the show. So let's get into it. Megan. Number one. Tyler Algier gearing up for the NFL draft. You know, oftentimes, Ben, you, you look at these decisions and you can see both sides right it's it's often not hard to um but in tyler's case and and probably most cases in the in the the situations that we talk about now is a great time the 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 positives seem to outweigh the positives on the other side greatly in this situation for a variety of reasons starting with the position that he plays 100 percent uh, as we've talked about a lot, it would be great if you were Derrick Henry, who maybe didn't even end up going in the first round. But you know what I mean? If you, it's great if you're one of these Sony Michelle, who went up, I think, going 30 or whatever to the Patriots. One of these guys who gets drafted in the first round comes with guaranteed money. It's incredible. But really, you need to stick in the NFL as a running back. And yes, you're going to have a much better chance to do it in the first round. But Tyson Williams, who we've seen do it, guys who get drafted late. Jamal Williams wasn't, what, he's a fourth-round pick? I think he ended up slipping a little bit. He's still in the league. Like, if you're a running back and you get your opportunity, you will get a chance to play in the NFL if you can prove in camp that you can do anything. You know, you will get an opportunity because running backs go down, running backs get tired. Like, you will have three running backs on a team, at least, that get an opportunity to play every Sunday. Yep. So it's a great time to go in, and... He he looks like an NFL guy. I mean, he's big like an NFL player. He's got breakaway speed. He's got great moves. He's got terrific instincts. That is a player you absolutely want to have on the field. And I won't at all be surprised if we're still talking about Tyler Algier in the NFL three years from now, and regardless he, of where he gets picked. And he's tough. He's very tough. you got to be tough to be a running back at the NFL level. But there, there's only so much time you have as a running back. Unfortunately, that window seems to keep shrinking uh, more and more and more. I mean, when was the last running back that we've seen really perform well into their 30s. Adrian Peterson, maybe? Maybe. But yeah, no, it's not a lot. It just doesn't happen very often. It doesn't, because no. there's a lot of wear and tear, and clubs move on. Because they found, thanks to the Terrell Davises of the world, yep. they found that you can grab a running back in the fifth or sixth round, or whatever Terrell Davis was, and he could turn out to be a stud. You could grab a running back in the first round, and he might turn out to be just a guy. Again, you don't want to compare everything to what Bill Belichick does because Bill Belichick's, you know, legitimately the best player in the NFL or the best coach, coach in the NFL, excuse me. Uh, but, you know, they, Sonny Michel is who I was talking about. They, they draft him in the first round out of Georgia. I think he was out of Georgia. Ridiculously talented in college. And then James White ends up getting snaps over him in the Super Bowl. Yep. And James White was a fourth round pick. Like, it's just that there's clearly not a direct science in the NFL 
unless you are Derrick Henry and you're six foot five and four hundred pounds and no one can tackle you, period, and you run a four five forty. Like that's great. Obviously take that guy in the first round. Clearly after that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of rhyme or reason to who makes it and who doesn't make it. So go with the superhuman yeah, if, if available. If you have a super freak, if Superman's there and wants to play running back for your football team, Pick take him. Yeah. If not, wait till the third or fourth round, take Tyler Algier and the odds of the gap between what you're gonna get there versus the running back you could have gotten in the first or second round are probably not not gonna be that huge. You know, they're just not going to be that big of a difference. And, and good for Tyler Algier. Th- was he the third, third highest uh, rushing total in college football this year? 1,600 yards. Ended up with the lead in touchdowns, right? 23 touchdowns. Like that, that, that is a guy, by the stats alone, should be a top 64 pick, whatever the 32 picks in the first round. Yeah, he should be a top first two-round guy. He probably falls to round three or four, but I think he's going to be in the NFL for a long time, and that's incredible. Plus, I would I would like his background if I were the NFL. You know, defensive guy, scrapped to make the team. You know, learned a new position, learned it at an elite level. I think that says a lot about him personally. So, would be an easy guy to invest in, I would think. And I like honestly, if I'm uh, an NFL team, I like that he doesn't have a ton of wear on his tires. I like yeah, that this year too. was his mm-hmm. big year. Like there are guys yeah. who have started since they were sophomores. They play their sophomore, junior, and senior season. It's like, yeah, he's got forty five hundred yards rushing in college football, but it's like yeah, he's also played three seasons. He's taken all those hits. Like you only take so many as a running back in the NFL. So uh, good for him for being in a really great spot to 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 go out there and play a long time. He was delivering the blows as opposed to receiving them for yeah, a while. He was. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it is good. All right, moving on. Number two. Ohio State wide receiver Garrett Wilson to skip Rose Bowl game against Utah. Well, that's it. That makes everyone on Ohio State. Nobody's playing. <laughs> Jake. Uh, how many total, Ben? We were trying to find an up to I've got at list. least four starters. Three of them are on the offensive side of the ball. I see Garrett Wilson, wide receiver. Chris Olave, wide receiver. Now, remember, they have the best wide receiving core yep. in college football by leaps and bounds. Yeah. So you're taking out two guys who have opportunities to be, again, first two-round picks in Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, uh, maybe first-round picks, both of them. Their starting left tackle, Nicholas Petit-Frere, is not going to be playing either. He was you know, super five-star recruit. Of course, he was. He went to Ohio State, but has been their starting left tackle. He's getting ready for the NFL draft. And then Haskell Garrett, who last week was named Polynesian Player of the Year and is probably the best player on their defensive line, which has not been a traditional Ohio State defensive line this year, is also not playing. If I'm a Utah fan, I'm loving this. Well, feeling better about the, the team's chances. That's oh, you're sure. missing... Four NFL guys and you're starting 22? Yeah, I like that. Three of them on the offensive side of the ball, which was going to be, if Ohio State was going to beat Utah, and it's still the case, it's going to be because they score 50 points and Utah doesn't do that. Now, Utah can score 50 points. That's why they're so good this season. But if they beat Utah, it's because they put up a ton of points and Utah just couldn't match their firepower. And without these three offensive players and then their one defensive player, they're, they're going to have a hard time. So you say Ute fans uh, or Utah should be feeling good about it. I'm going to go the other way, Ben. This is Utah's fault. Okay. Explain. This is Utah's fault. If Ohio State was playing against the road in the Rose Bowl against some softy cakes team, 
some of these Oregon. guys, yeah, some of these guys might actually play. Utah's going to be a hard game. Oh, They're going to want to play physical. My career They're, ended by a Utah safety know? in a Rose Bowl. Right, and and hey, I get that risk. Bottom line, I, I understand if people mm, want to protect. Nephi their, Sewell ruined my NFL career. But there's that thing: you're not going to the Rose Bowl to play against a finesse team. You're going into the Rose Bowl to play a team whose game plan is going to be to make life as difficult for you as possible. It's kind of a letdown anyway because you're not in the college football playoff. I I honestly, it would not surprise me if part of the reason some of these guys at least made the decision not to play is because it's going to be ugly. Ugly. Physical. Yes. Yeah, Utah it's going to be a hard you. football game. Yeah. Right. Utah wants to beat you up. That's, so, I, I'm, I, I think you're 100% right. I think there's a few things. Weather's not supposed to be great coming up on Saturday, so it probably ups your risk of injury slightly. I think the more you're hanging around people right now with COVID going around, there's a chance you end up as a late scratch anyways and don't end up playing. So why even risk it? And you know what? Let's say you get a weird case of long COVID just by being around these guys right now, and you end up not being able to train in, for the NFL draft for three more weeks. Like, I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but there were Olympic swimmers who wouldn't get the shot because they said, I can't sacrifice a day of training by getting sick, by getting a shot that could potentially save me from getting COVID because the risk is too great of even having one day off. I need every single training day I can get. So if you miss a week, you miss two weeks leading up to the NFL draft or the combine coming up in a few months. I, I, I get why those guys are probably making this argument of saying, why even expose yourself to any risk of any kind when I can just enjoy Disneyland, sit on the sidelines, cheer for the team, look like a good guy and, and still get ready for the NFL draft and make millions of dollars. Now, I did find this hilarious how the news broke because that crafty Ryan Day probably knew about this for weeks, right? But <laughs> the first basically public appearance that they make where they went to Disneyland, all of a sudden they're like, <laughs> people are looking around, hey, where where are these guys? Right. Well, I guess uh, the cat's out of the bag now. But that's that's a little gamesmanship. Make wit prepare for everybody. Say at the very last minute when you absolutely Correct. have to say something is well, the only time you say anything. I mean, we we saw it at, at, at BYU with guys not 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 showing up for the bowl game, but just certainly not able to play during the bowl game. You know, right. that's something right. you do. You you that's don't have to tell do. you don't have to tell everyone right away if Jaron Hall is going to be available or if you're going to be playing Baylor Romney. You know. It's it's a big advantage. It's a big difference if you're if you're preparing for one quarterback versus another. Now, Utah has a week to not prepare for these guys. It's not like Ohio State's going to dramatically change the way they play. No, but it's, you know it's nice to not have to match up with Chris Olave, who's got thirty touchdowns since he's you know receiving but, touchdowns and it goes for a hundred yards every single time he steps. Mika Tafua doesn't have to go against their left tackle. Correct. Yeah, yeah. He's wreck shop now. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Things are gonna. This is gonna be nice for the University of Utah. Nick Ford doesn't have to go against their tackle, who is again the Polynesian Player of the Year. Like that's probably gonna be an advantage for Utah. So, and you know what? Two years from now, who cares? Nobody's gonna care. Although they have, I think Ute fans are still salty whenever the Alabama didn't want to be there sure. comes up. But sure. who you got the W and stomped them? By the way, it's not even like it was a close game. Yeah, right. You got the money. You have the Sugar Bowl trophy. It's still yeah. up there at the practice facility. You can go see it. Nick Saban took an L. He Nick Saban take took many an L. of those. Correct. Yeah, you know what? I bet you Kawhi Leonard still likes his championship ring that didn't have Kevin Durant on the t- when he right. was play- when he's playing against the Warriors didn't have Clay Thompson or KD. I bet he doesn't really care that much. Nope. That in the history books, when he goes into the Hall of Fame, it still says he has that championship. Speaking of the history books, Ben, on to number three. Number three, Rudy Gobert moves into top fifty on NBA's all-time blocks list. I guess I'm a little surprised he wasn't there already. 
Now, what's crazy is that he is not, he really is a very disciplined defensive player where he does not go for block shots at all costs. Like, Andre Karolinko would let you get close to the rim so he could block the shot because he's like, well, I know I can get the stop there and it's a more fun play. Where Rudy Gobert is like, I'll just make you change the direction of your shot and that's good enough for us because then you get a miss and I get the rebound. But block shots are certainly a much sexier stat than rebounds. Hassan Whiteside has better shot blocking numbers than Rudy Gobert does. But he's certainly not the defensive player. That's probably part of the reason it's taken Rudy you know, this long to get there. But it is still incredible that Rudy's probably got three years left of his prime, and he's already a top 50 player at that, you know, at that spot. It's, it's a testament to how good he's been. And that was kind of his attitude after the game when he was asked about it. was like, yeah, it's great, but you know, yeah. a lot more to come. Yeah. Going to be climbing that list quickly. Did you see who he had to pass to get there? No. Greg Ostertag. Really? He displaced former jazz tag. man. Tag. Otag. Tag's out. Actually, Otag and Dr. J had the exact same amount of blocks. Wow. I think at 1293 or something, maybe 1294, and Rudy Gobert is now up to 1296. Where's he? Uh, where's Coach Chiesa when you need it? Um, the, where's he in jazz lore now? Because obviously three. Eaton's one, Malone's Eaton one. two. no. Andre Karolinko's two. Two? Wow. Yeah, AK but, was prolific. And Rudy's now, not all of those came in a jazz uniform. He also played for the Timberwolves and he played for the Nets, so not kind of. everyone. Right. But most of his work was done in Utah, so I consider him the jazz, okay. a jazz man. But he already passed Carl then. And he's 163 back of, of, uh, of Andre Karolinko. Well, he'll pass that fairly easily, I would guess. Yeah. Getting to Big Mark, though. That's going to be, you got a long Never way to go. Never going to get there. Yeah, probably not. No. Uh, so there you go. But, uh, you know, Rudy, Rudy, uh, there was another example of Rudy getting matched up, and I'm trying to remember the player off the top of my head, Ben, where he gets switched out onto a perimeter guy, and uh, the, it might have been White. And anyway, tried to take Rudy, of course, and ended up uh, coming to a complete stop and turning around and going the other direction, as we see so often. Uh, yep. Backing up your point about uh, Rudy being more of a defender than just a shot blocker, and I always kind of roll my eyes when I hear somebody make the argument, he doesn't even lead the league in blocks, and it's like, well... <laughs> He does a lot more than that. And he probably is the best pick-and-roll defender in the league. And the reason that uh, teams that uh, almost entirely run pick-and-roll just stop running pick-and-roll against the Jazz, which always makes me laugh because why would you bring Rudy to the play? So the whole league changes uh, what they do based on how Rudy plays. And so somebody goes, hey, but he's not leading the the league in blocks. It's like... The best corner in the NFL doesn't lead the league in interceptions. Great. Great comparison. They don't throw the ball. They don't throw the ball. No, but Deion Deion Sanders changes the way the other team has to play. Don't put the ball over there. Right. Cut the field in half and don't put it anywhere near him because if he gets it, not only is he getting it taken away, he's taking it the other direction. Right. And that's the same thing with Rudy. He will just completely shut down your offense completely. So just don't even try it. It's just stupid to try it, which again is incredible. That's it's how good Rudy Gobert has been. Think about it, what the Clippers had to do to beat the Jazz in the playoffs last year. They had to put their faith into Terrence Mann. Yeah. They had to go, you know what? We're going to live and die with the eighth guy on our roster. Right. And it worked. And it worked. But that is basketball. That's why you need to have that good eighth guy. But yes, it wasn't like we're just going to continually. It's crazy. Yep. It's like, hey, Paul, you're not going to win this series for us. We're going with Terrence Mann because he gives us the best chance to get Rudy out of the paint. It's crazy. Anyway. How many blocks does Rudy Gobert? I'm just trying to calculate what we think he can probably finish his career with. He averages about 
170-ish, 150-ish blocks per game is career highs. Per game? Or wow. per season. It's a lot. This guy's this guy lot. blocks everything. Boy, howdy. His career high is 214 blocks in a season. He did that in 2016, 2017. He had 190 last year and actually led the NBA. But he's had some 130 block seasons. So let's, you know, kind of even out the middle. He's around 170 blocks per season. He could reasonably get another 1,000 blocks in his career. I think if he's if he's just around two hundred, he'll he'll probably get another thousand, and that would put Rudy Gobert up at basically twenty three hundred. Twenty three hundred would put Gobert top fifteen. Sean Bradley's number fifteen in the league uh, in NBA history with twenty one. How about that? Our guy Sean. Sean Bradley, Ben Wallace, Dwight Howard, Marcus Camby, Zoe, Robert Parrish, Tree Rollins. Shaq, Ewing, Robinson, Duncan, Eaton, Jabbar, Matumbo, Elijah one. It's your top 15. I don't think Rudy moves into the top 10. But if he plays until he's 38, 39, he could easily get there. I just don't think he plays that long. More coming up next. Stay tuned. Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Getting into more questions. Uh, college football and, and jazz conversation coming up uh, at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. But there is some news out of the NBA, Ben. Okay. The Nets say Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and LaMarcus Aldridge have all cleared health and safety protocols. So that's good news for them. Uh, Kyrie Irving eventually is going to make his return. But seven out of the ni- next nine Brooklyn games are at home. Kyrie Irving cannot play at home. Yep. I wonder if that changes with a new mayor, by the way. I susp- that was one of- the mayor was asked about that and said that was not going to be the case. But, you know, the CDC yesterday did say, hey, isolation period is dropping from 10 to 5 once you have COVID, as long as you test. And, you know, they're trying to get people out there quick- more quickly. I won't be surprised if in the next couple of months, and, you know, who knows? This thing has obviously been so unpredictable. I'm not a doctor by any means. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few months regulations are relaxed enough that Kyrie can just play everywhere. But... What a nightmare this has been for the Nets, you know, and maybe Kyrie feels fine about it and got money regardless one way or another, or found ways to get his money. But uh, this has just been. Well, he's he's had to have damaged relationships. Correct. I would guess. Correct. And he's not inspired any belief in Kyrie Irving. Well, I'm sure teammates are sympathetic, I suppose, or at least some of them, I would guess. But at the same time, you know, a team. If you're on a team, it requires a certain amount of falling in line. I don't know how often in any line of work anyone's sympathetic towards the highest paid person in the building. That could be a good point. You know, you're paid a lot to be there. That are all fighting for a spot. Especially the guys at the end of that. I mean, because James Harden makes a trillion dollars and because Kevin Durant makes a trillion, because Kyrie makes a trillion, all the rest of those guys are kind of fighting for anything above the minimum. The scraps. You know, honestly, yeah. you know, there's not a lot. I bet you, looking at that, those contracts, there's not a lot of, Patty Mills probably makes, what, like $7 million? There's not a lot of guys beyond that that are making the 10 to $15 million kind of really healthy mid-range deals. There's probably a lot of low-level contracts that, you know, that Let's are just see. kind of on the vet minimum. I bet you there's not a ton of sympathy for Kyrie, especially because a lot of these guys are LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin. You know, a lot of these guys have been around the NBA for a long time that did not care who Kyrie is. They do not care that he has a profile. They were all high-profile max players at one point, too. So I, I wonder how endearing he is to people in that locker room. All right. To, uh, to prove your point here, Ben, let's see. This year, James Harden's making 43.8. <sighs> Kevin Durant's making 40.9. 
Kyrie's making 34-9. Joe Harris, forget about Joe Harris. Big who's, Joe Harris. Who's well compensated at 17-3. That's crazy. Outside of that, nobody's making more than six. Wow. Uh, Patty Mills is Man, making 5-8. I got to imagine Patty Mills. Patty Mills is so much better than Joe Harris. Now, he's made a little bit of money in his career, but Joe Harris making $16 million or whatever you just said. And Patty Mills making ten million less than that as a guy who's been like a national hero in Australia won them the bronze medal this year because he's absurdly good in international play and has done nothing in his career but be awesome whether he was at St Mary's or San Antonio and now with the Nets and owns you know the Christmas Day record for most threes ever made he set that on Saturday and he's looking at Joe Harris just stealing cash. Mm. And then uh, you've got uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, James Johnson, and Paul Millsap all on the vet minimum 2-6. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of sympathy for Kyrie. In no, the probably. Would be my guess. Looking at that, probably not. You know that uh, Kyrie's got a player option next year for 36-5? And the thing is, he probably won't take it. I would. I bet he, he probably can sign a $40 million contract next year. You think? Yeah, he can probably get the same thing that James Harden and Kevin Durant, as long as someone will offer it to him. But that's the point. At what point is he damaged goods? Maybe there isn't a point. Yeah, there may not be. He may already be so... That'll be an interesting He has three stops, decision. and none of, them, none of them have gone all that well. He had of, the, I mean, even four, you could say Duke. Yeah, I mean, point. I know he got hurt, but he kind of checked out. Yep. You know, like he was not there very long, and the interest in him being there was clearly not very high. He's just not ever endeared himself anywhere. No city is sad when he's gone either. But we love one-on-one players, Ben. We do. And he's the best one-on-one player in the NBA. Yep, he is. Hmm. I don't know. If the Jazz somehow had the salary to sign Kyrie Irving next year. If you could have Kyrie at 30 or Mike Conley at 20, who would you rather have? Kyrie at 30 or Mike Conley at 20? Yeah. So a young not mo- age, no, not age, money. Oh, I was like, oh, money, money. money. Sorry, finances. I'm, I'm a little slow there. No, you're man. good. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> you could get a time machine. I'm <laughs> <laughs> going real hypothetical. Uh, yeah. The thing though is that every time Kyrie Irving shoots, Donovan Mitchell isn't. Yeah, Kyrie blows everything up. You have to change it. Kyrie's better than Mike Conley is. But he would take a bite out of Donovan and changes the locker room dynamic completely. Turns into Bozoville overnight. Yeah, uh, negative, negatively, yeah. Yeah. I'm taking Mike Conley. I think so, ten right? Out of ten. So that's the thing. Are, are there going to be NBA teams lining up for the services of Kyrie Irving? Or does this fall under the, you know, there's always a, a pigeon GM out there yes. just dying to give somebody money? Someone will always give, someone will give him money. He's like still in his Sacramento prime. Sacramento will give him someone money. Someone was still in his prime. You know, he'll, he'll still be in Brooklyn next year. I can't imagine that team gets blown up. But then again, that's the thing about Kyrie, right? You always think, like, he wins a championship in Cleveland. They can have a dynasty here if they want. Incredible. No, I don't want to be here anymore. Trade me to Boston. Goes to Boston. They have the two best young forwards in the NBA. They have Al Horford. They have Gordon Hayward. They had just gone to the Eastern Conference Finals? Perfect. You've got a slew of draft picks on top of it. You guys are going to be great for a decade. Nah, in two years I'm going to blow this thing up and make it so, I'm going to be so unpleasant here that nobody wants me around anymore. And now he's doing the same thing in Brooklyn. He just, you cannot... Get in bed with that guy. He's just not worth dancing with. He's too he's too dangerous. So I wouldn't touch him. I'd take my Conley. I wonder what his relationship is like with Harden and Durant, because that's all that really matters, right? Probably. You know? Yeah. At what point do they be like, you know, you weren't there. 
I mean, that's kind of what happened in Boston, and he really resented that, right? Because they had that that run, and he was on the sidelines, and he wasn't there for any of it? Right. And he didn't like that LeBron was the guy in Cleveland. No. You didn't like that LeBron was the guy? LeBron James. LeBron James? The chosen one? Yeah. Yeah. We we get why LeBron was the guy in Cleveland. You made a good shot. No doubt about it. You, You were good in that playoff run. But LeBron James. He's been in nine straight finals. He's the best. Might be the best ever. So... Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch Kyrie. I, I just don't like the headache of it. It's Tim Tebow. It's it's just the nonsense. I, I don't want to do the nonsense. Hmm. There's a lot of ways to win in the NBA. There's a, there's plenty of nice guys. Well, he's going to start playing on the road, Ben. <laughs> what a, and I get why Brooklyn's doing it. I mean, they kind of had to come 180 on a you know kind of a, a line in the sand, I guess that they drew. But you know. Drastic times call for drastic measures, but how about that? We're we're in a situation, Ben, where a star player in the NBA can only play road games thanks to the laws in the home city that he's supposed to play in. We will uh, we'll see Brooklyn here in Salt Lake City coming up on February 4th. Probably Kyrie as well. And you know what? I like watching Kyrie play, so I hope he does. Yeah, right. <laughs> Stay tuned. More Jake and Ben coming up next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.